0: In 1939, the number of women that were working in the U.S. was about 5.1 million. By 1945, that number jumped to about 11.6 million. During this time, the number of women in the U.S. Congress rose
1: from 9 to 11. Now over in Rwanda, 40 years later in 1978, women made up 44% of the labor force. This shot up to over 84% in the year 2000, according to the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. And we saw a similar change in Rwanda's legislature. By 1990, 17% of legislators in Rwanda were women. This rose to 49% by 2003, which was 51 out of the 80 seats. Today, over 60% of Rwanda's legislators are women. In Nepal in 1991, the number
2: of women in the workforce was over 4.6 million, that's 47.4% of the female population. And by 2001, 83% of Nepalese women were employed in one form of work or the other. This again corresponded with a rise in representation in government. By April 2008, Nepal's Constituent Assembly consisted of over 33% women.
3: Alex, Richard, and Nabila it's clear that there's a direct link between the economic inclusion of women and their political inclusion. So the question that I have is, how do we improve the economic inclusion of women? War.
0: (gasps) War, what is it good for? Absolutely nothing. Except in some cases, improving the economic inclusion of women.
3: Now, there are many other ways to improve the economic inclusion of women. Education is a powerful way, government policies, changes in culture also make it acceptable for women to be seen and heard in the public space. And we're going to address all of those later. But if a society does not willingly make space for women, something eventually comes along that creates space for women to rise, like disease or war. From Triple E Media, I'm Ramat Mohammed, and this is The Backstory.
1: In the 1930s, before World War II, life for women in the U.S. was still very traditional. Despite the fact that they had gained the right to vote in 1920 and we were making strides in getting education, women were expected to be housewives ideally cooking cleaning doing the laundry raising the kids that is if they were married
4: look at that blouse and the way that skirt hangs and those socks you don't seem to be exactly the type to make this guy behave like a human being
1: and all advertising through radio tv shows magazines told women that they were to be the perfect picture of a housewife and homemaker. Even if they were single, some women were busy making themselves look pretty, waiting and hoping to get married. Some who went to colleges and universities went there to find husbands. Then, World War II changed everything. In
0: 1939, the Second World War started, On one side were the Axis powers, Germany, Japan, Italy, represented by Adolf Hitler, Emperor Hirohito, and Benito Mussolini, respectively. On the other side were the Allied powers, Great Britain, that was headed by Winston Churchill, and the Soviet Union, which was represented by Joseph Stalin. Now, as of December 1940, the US had not yet joined the war efforts. Then, on January 6, 1941, The US president, Franklin Roosevelt, delivered his speech to the members of the 77th Congress. And in his speech, he basically laid out the argument for why the US needed to get involved in the war front. He argued that if the other side wins, that's the Axis powers, the American way of life would cease to exist.
4: No realistic American can expect from a dictator's peace international generosity or return of true independence, or world disarmament, or freedom of expression, or freedom of religion, or even good business.
0: He then called on Congress to support the efforts to provide weapons and arms to the Allied powers.
4: And today it is abundantly evident that American citizens everywhere are demanding and supporting speedy and complete action in recognition of obvious danger. Therefore, the immediate need is a swift and driving increase in our armament production. Leaders of industry and labor have
0: And with that, the U.S. needed to quickly ramp up production. So,
2: women moved from the kitchen, the living room, and the other room to the factories.
4: We are still short millions of hands. We must call upon women. All over the United States, women are called upon to leave their homes and take jobs. Among our young unmarried women and among...
2: And advertisers followed suit. Propaganda artwork, like Rosie the Riveter, was spread everywhere. I'm sure you've seen the poster of Rosie the Riveter. It's the one showing a female factory worker, she's wearing a red headscarf, and she's flexing her right arm. On the poster are the words, we can do it, and the women did it. Women were employed as volunteers to the armed
0: forces, the civil defense, and other industry sectors.
1: Women worked in factories producing munitions, building ships, aeroplanes. They also worked as air raid
2: wardens, fire officers and evacuation officers, fire engine drivers, train drivers, tram drivers, and as well as conductors and nurses. By the way, these jobs and positions were considered as highly skilled and exclusively men's work before 1941. But with the war effort, America was ready to overlook the issue of gender. It now became possible and acceptable for women to do men's work. Between the 1930s and 1940s, women in the U.S. workforce went from about 10 million to over 13 million. That's a 24% increase. And that became the largest proportional rise in female labor during the entire 20th century.
1: Now, the war ended in 1945. Fast forward about 35 and 40 years later, and over to Rwanda, where the social fabric was also shifting to favor women representation again because of war. There was a civil war in Rwanda which started in 1990 and came to an end after the Tutsi genocide of 1994.
0: We found this really striking graph from the World Bank that shows Rwanda's population between 1990 and 1996. Sadly, Rwanda's male population dropped by over half a million. Now, that might not seem like a large number, But the deaths of over 500,000 Rwandan men meant that over 20% of Rwanda's married women became widows. After the war, 34% of Rwandan households were headed by women. And more than half of these women and their families lived below the poverty line. That's a dollar a day, which in 1994 was about 22 naira.
2: So they did what they had to do to support their families they went out and got jobs. Rwandan women became very active in almost every sector, especially agriculture. By around the year 2000, Rwandan women made up nearly 60%, that's over half of the working adult population. Basically, women were the labour force. But women's involvement in Rwanda went way beyond jobs.
0: According to an article written by Karolina Zvobodova, Before the Civil War, Rwandan women had practically no political rights. However, after the war, that completely changed. See, the post-war government had to figure out how to build and sustain peace. And there were these courts, Gacaca courts. Basically, community courts that were set up to help resolve crimes committed during the war and to reconcile these communities. See, women traditionally tend to be mediators and conciliators, so the local Rwandan women have played a huge and significant peace-building efforts for the government.
2: And from there, Rwandan women have found ways to ensure their efforts are not taken for granted. By 2003, Rwanda's constitution required that every sector had to have at least 30% women. And as we mentioned in the beginning, Today, over 60% of Rwanda's legislators
1: are women. Now, over to Nepal, that's in South Asia, we see the pattern repeat again. In 1996, civil war erupted in Nepal, The war, which came to be known as the People's War, would last 10 years. The war killed thousands of people, led to a huge increase in family separation rates and in disability rates among men.
2: We found this data that was analysed by the Nepal Demographic and Health Survey, and it shows that during the war, more husbands migrated and more women reported themselves as heads of their households. And with the responsibility of head of household, women had to work during the civil war. There wasn't a huge war effort like in the case of the US, but women in Nepal took on jobs that allowed them to support their families and ensure their safety, like jobs as Safa Tempo drivers.
1: Now, the Safa Tempo was introduced in Kathmandu, Nepal's capital city in 1993. The Safar Temple has three wheels, like our local Kekena Pevs here, but the Safar Temple is a lot bigger. It can carry up to 12 passengers, and it's an electric car, so it has to operate on fixed routes. When the Safa Temple was first introduced to Kathmandu, driving public transport was considered men's work. There were no written rules that restricted women from driving public transportation. It was just culturally not the normal thing to do.
0: And then Sumitra Dangal came along. In 1996, as the civil war started, Sumitra Dangal was 23 years old when she decided she was going to drive a Safa temple. And when she did, the criticisms came. Some of them expressed concern over her safety and security. Others pointed fingers at her morality as a woman who had dared
1: enter the man's space. Yet, she persisted. And it's a good thing she persisted, because as the conflict in Nepal escalated, Kathmandu saw a lot of internally displaced persons, IDPs, come to the city. These IDPs needed income to survive in the new city. And since Sumitra Dangal had already paved the way, more women from the IDP camps started becoming temple drivers. Safa Tempo driving became a viable occupation for women. We found this article by Asia Democracy Chronicles, and it states that as of 2020, about half of the Safa Tempo vehicles in Kathmandu were driven by women.
2: And driving Safa Tempos opened other economic opportunities for women. Some went on to open driving schools to teach other women how to drive. And because driving the Safa Tempos meant that they were earning more, some were able to send their children to better schools. So for internally displaced women during the war, the Safa Tempos became a lifeline for them and their families. We need to be clear, not every war has led to economic
0: advancement for women. In fact, women and children are the most negatively impacted
1: by war. Now, war spread diseases, it causes famine, it disrupts the normal course of life, and there is increased violence against women and children during war.
2: So, war's not great, but in some cases, it has been the key driver to more opportunities for women. In a 2016 Washington Post, Marie Tripp noted that the longer or more deadly the war, the more advances women make.
1: War creates necessity, and necessity creates space for innovation.
0: When a society is at war, it is literally fighting for survival. All hands need to be on deck. And at that point, the society at war is more open to letting go of some traditional ways of behaving in order to take on new behaviors. Hmm.
3: So it's clear that when war creates economic pressures, women benefit and they benefit as a group. But what happens when war ends? Are there other ways to create economic pressure apart from war? Will Nigerian men have to die before women rise? Join us next week for part two. The Backstory is brought to you by Triple E Media Productions. Production copyright 2021, Triple E Media Productions. If you enjoyed this episode of The Backstory and want to hear more, subscribe to our 234 Audio YouTube channel. Episodes of this podcast can also be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Backstory was produced by Alexandra Gekpe, Richard Anyabe, Nabila Usman, Dominic Tabakaji, and Sam Tabakaji. Special thanks to Rabia Hadeja, Stanley Bentu, Aredi Isha, and Iwa Bado Ikaleku. I'm Ramat Muhammad. See you next week.